What we're going to do from now, um, Peter's going to come up a little bit later, <clears throat> and um, I'm going to do um, pretty much what I did at the moderator's rally a few weeks ago, and I'm thankful that Jonathan wasn't able to be there and that Patricia and June Pat are in Amsterdam, so I'm not doing any repeats. To give a little bit of <clears throat> biblical context into um, what we were doing at the F campaign yesterday, and um, uh, what Peter's going to share uh, in some movies that he's been involved in, uh, short films and the stories he's going to tell. So I want to read from Colossians chapter 1, but we don't want to read the whole <clears throat> passage that's before you. I want to concentrate on <clears throat> sorry, verses 15 to 23. <clears throat> and we've done this before because we did Colossians remixed a little bit of time ago, but it's, uh, it's Colossians remixed, remixed this morning. But let's read this incredible passage, um, one of the, the most inspired passages, I think, um, in the scriptures. From Colossians 1 and 15, it's all equally inspired, but some of it's even more inspiring than other pieces or other places. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in him, so that everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. To present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm. And do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard. And that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. And of which I, Paul, have become a servant. An incredible passage. I'll come back to it in a second. <clears throat> One of my favorite movies is The Truman Show. Um, thank you so much. I am not, um, I'm not a Jim Carrey fan. But two of my favorite movies are Jim Carrey movies. Go figure. Bruce Almighty. We did that very early on. We need to do that again. Come back to that one. And The Truman Show. The Truman Show, if you haven't seen it, and it seemed that most people in the General Assembly that evening hadn't, um, The Truman Show is about um, a guy called Truman who is born on the set of a television reality show almost. It's 24-7, almost like Big Brother. He's born on the set, and he lives on the set, and everybody around him are actors and actresses, and there's a script and he lives there for 20-something years, is married and everything else, before he even catches on that it might not be real life that's going on around him. And a bit like Paul, actually. He gets into a storm, and he tries to escape. Tries all these ways to get off the set, but there's all kinds of scripts that are twisted so that he can't get off the set. 
And he finds himself in a storm on a boat. And it's really life or death stuff. And it's tense and Hollywood drama. And during that particular part of it, the producer is asked a question. How can Truman have lived so long and not realized that he's in this reality show? Unreality, actually. And the producer says, on the movie and to each one of us this morning, we accept the reality of the world we have been presented with. We accept the reality of the world that we are presented with. The General Assembly, this is not mentioned that night, but we could do as Presbyterians, could we not? To ask ourselves if we've accepted the reality of the world that we're presented with in blue books and all kinds of other things in our church. Fitzroy. Do we accept the reality of the world we've been presented with and we're being deluded into thinking that this is how the world is and there's a world out there that we haven't even experienced? The first century Christians in Colossians were accepting, or the world around them were accepting the reality of the world they were being presented with. We could look at this passage in Colossians and we'd say, what a hymn that was, because some people think it might have been a hymn. We could look at it and we could say, really good Christology. Maybe that'll come out in the series in Paul. This is very good theological Christology. Can, has anybody expressed Jesus in six or seven verses the way Paul did in this particular letter? We could even say it's a great gospel con- context, or a really good text to get into the reconciliation, the fullness of God dwelling in Christ, to his blood. We could see all of that in the first reading of it. But there's more going on underneath, because as Gary was taking us back to last Sunday night. No doubt, well, this Sunday night, if you get back into the first century and see what's happening, then there's whole other kinds of things going on. And actually, some of the commentators would say um, that this is not, if it is a hymn, it's certainly not coming from a Jewish tradition because the phrases that Paul uses are Greco-Roman phrases. These are phrases that were used about Caesar. The image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation, and him thing all things are held together. These were things that the Colossians would have seen every day in the market, they would have seen every day in the library, they would have seen every day in the gymnasium, every time they picked a coin out of their pocket, every time they picked up a piece of kitchen utensil, there was Caesar. And all these things were being said about Caesar. And the images, image, see the word image in this passage, images were dominating who they were. And they were accepting the reality of the world that they were presented with. And Paul was coming here with a political hymn. A subversive hymn that was saying, see it another way. The battle in the Bible from beginning to end. Who is Lord? Jesus is Lord or Pharaoh is Lord? Jesus is Lord or Herod is Lord? Jesus is Lord or Caesar is Lord. Jesus is Lord or the empire is Lord. Jesus is Lord or we accept the reality of the world we've been presented with. And Paul is saying, here is an alternative imagining. Here's another way to see the world. This is a breaking in, 
a grace interruption, a kingdom coming that is different than the reality of the world that we've been presented with. And the Bible's that the whole way through. Noah, build an ark. In the reality of the world they've been presented with, God says, do something. Grace interrupts. There's another kingdom comes and the world begins again. Moses, Exodus, getting out of there. Grace interrupts. God breaks in. The world is transformed and there's rescue, redemption, escape. The prophets, whether they're in the, the Jerusalem and they're being unjust to the people or whether they're in Babylon and they need a vision of another place, breaking in, grace interrupting transformation of culture, the kingdom coming, and the world being changed. Caesar is Lord. Jesus is Lord. The G8 leaders is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Accepting the reality of the world that we're presented with, that one in eight will go to bed hungry tonight, or is there a big ask? Or could God break in? Could grace interrupt? Could God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? That's what we were doing here yesterday. Praying the big ask. Praying at 108 when some people's alarms with very funny noises, it has to be said, went off right in the middle of the service. Listening to those from other countries who were telling us how the world is changing around them because of the work that Tear Fund is doing in those places. Seeing another world. The, the reality of the world they were presented with has been interrupted, broken into, and there is possibility. One of the things that has amazed me, and I shared it yesterday, how can we have got all that intelligence and will to get to the moon? And people still go to bed hungry. How could we have used all that wisdom to be able to put at least a third of my CD collection in a little box in my pocket? They don't make them big enough for all my CDs, but they do a reasonable job. How can you have your office in your hand all day? What we have done and have still left one and eight going to bed Hungry? The interruption. Grace breaking in. God's kingdom being transformed is a big ask. But we are the people of God. And as somebody said yesterday, when we pray, we sit down at the government of heaven. How involved are we in bringing the justice to the world that this world needs. The band are going to play and we're going to sing with them God of Justice. And after that, I welcome Peter to come and to show us some stuff that he has seen around the world where we need God to interrupt and God has been interrupting. And then we will be challenged after that as we go. Let us stand to sing. Can't hear me through the thing. Ah, oh, there we go. Hello. Um, so, I am uh, Peter Shaw, and I come, uh, I'm here from Tear Fund today, and I am the editor of this little handbag-sized magazine. We pioneered the handbag-sized magazine long before all the uh, 
women's magazines. And uh, so Tear Times is the, the magazine I edit. And you may see, has anybody seen, heard, read? Heard? Here it is. <clears throat> and uh, you might notice in the Tear Times you're getting at the moment, it says Northern Ireland in the corner there. That is because over the last three issues, working with Tim McGowan, who you may well know, uh, we've been introducing a new section that gives all the news and information to uh, for churches and events and opportunities for people in Northern Ireland, so it's more appropriate for you. And then in the back, we also include a little reflection from a Northern Irish church leader. So, uh, so um, you know, I'm always happy to receive your comments and feedbacks. Um, my email address is editor at tearfund.org, so if you've got anything you'd like to say to me, then that's the way to do it. But um, I'm here today to talk about if, um, <clears throat> and I'm going to let you into a secret, which I probably shouldn't be telling you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. And the secret is, before I came to speak to you today, I was given a report, okay, a report about Fitzroy Presbyterian from Tear Fund, okay, it's a report about all you people, but I thought it's not really fair to give you the report without giving you a report, some reports about me. So a few years ago, my father gave me an envelope with all my old school reports in it, and uh, I'd like to give you some absolutely genuine, as they were written, school reports that people said about me. If you don't believe me, you can ask my wife afterwards because she's seen the actual evidence. So, this was my chemistry report. His notebook is lost at the moment. Um, and there was uh, an art report said, he is a responsible collector of scissors. Um, this is rather a weird one. This is my sport, um, and I think I was about 10 years old, and it was kind of sport and play, and it said, Peter is too small to make any progress. <laughs> okay. Um, but the, the best, uh, um, my, yeah, yeah, my um, French reports are probably the best, so I'll read you some of those. It's nice to get constructive feedback, feedback that you feel like you can take away and do something with. So here's one of my French reports. He is painfully inadequate at getting the most rudimentary things together. <laughs> um, and then another French report was, he really has very little grasp of what is going on. <laughs> and this is, this is my favourite of all of them. Uh, uh, so this is my French report. He should not be asked to do this subject. To Peter, French is just a series of bewildering sounds he cannot transmit to paper. <laughs> so that's... So, 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 and your report, so the report about Fitzroy is... Uh, Fitzroy is strongly supportive of Tear Fund's work. So give yourself a round of applause. Well done. Um... So essentially, I'm here, um, and we were here yesterday, and we really enjoyed the service, and I, I really in, enjoyed the way that it was presenting poverty and justice in not just a, a real way, but in a hopeful and very godly and biblical way. Um, and that's what we're, at Tear Fund we're all about. So we're an organization that has prayer and reading of the Bible at the core of what we're doing. So at, at Tear Fund on a Wednesday morning, we have staff prayers, which is very much like a church service, and we have worship together, and we have speakers coming in, some amazing speakers. Um, and, and before 
most of our meetings, we have prayer together. And when we decide on our programs, people around the world will have a time where they'll be saying, let's listen to God for Sudan. Let's, let's talk and, and um, discuss and pray together about how we can um, make sure that Christ and biblical teaching is at the core of what we do. Okay, so I'm going to uh, show you some uh, films today um, that I made in Cambodia. So I was in Cambodia, uh, they let me out of the office about once a year to go and visit some projects. And this year I was very fortunate to go to Cambodia, which if you are aware of the history of Cambodia, um, during the late 70s and, and 80s and, and beyond that, there was a, quite an extraordinarily... Uh, dark and painful period of history happened in Cambodia with the rule of the Khmer Rouge and Pol Pot. And literally uh, millions of people were killed under this regime. When you speak to people in in Cambodia, uh, people are enormously welcoming and friendly, um, but it's underneath the surface all the time. You can tell that they've been through something painful. I remember my wife, um, who's here, she went to Rwanda, and she said that, which is another place that had a, a slightly more recent but very dark history, it was like seeing an entire people which everybody had post-traumatic stress disorder. You can't treat post-traumatic stress disorder of an entire nation. That's really difficult. So Cambodian people, when you see them, they're friendly, they're warm, they're welcoming. But in a corner, in those moments, you can see something behind their eyes that suggests they went through that history. The younger people, it's very different. I think it's a bit like the generation that came after the Second World War. They're aware of something that happened in the history, or maybe they heard about it, they know about it, and they know lost uncles or brothers or sisters, but there's a new generation. So there is, there is still hope in the country. But I want to show you a couple of films today. So if I could get the things here... Um, okay, so I'm going to reenact the films using myself as a... Yes, so, so, um, so well, the first film I'm going to show you is very, very relevant to the, um, the IF campaign because, um, as you will have heard through IF, one of the key messages, the things that we're trying to let people know about is that there are one in eight people who do not have enough food to eat. Now, there is a difference, there's a real difference between being starving and being hungry. So you might have seen things on the television about famines. Um, but we're talking about people who struggle daily and uh, they don't have, they, they might have one meal a day, but they might be a very basic meal of rice with a few vegetables and things like that. Um, but it's not enough. Um, it, it's enough just to sustain them, you know, possibly to get through the day. But you imagine what it would be like farming the fields with very little nutrition or going about your, your daily life with very little to eat. But do we know what's, what's going on? Have I, have I just got to press something and it'll come up? Oh, well, here we go. Excuse me. Ah, this is the bit where I realise I, I need the... Ah, uh, uh, is that Bible? Oh, the Bible's there. See, I told you I was asleep. See, when, they, when those school reports are talking about people having very little grasp of what's going on, <laughs> you start to realise that some of it is actually true. So, you did say I could have as much time as I wanted, didn't you? Fine. This, aha, we sure ha- it, will, it will arrive. Ha ha, here we have it. Good, right. This is, this is making the rest of this a lot easier. 
Okay, so I'm going to firstly show you um, a film about a lady called Ivtuch, and her, but my Cambodian is terrible, a lot like my French, but she was called Ivtuch, and uh, she's got a young daughter and a husband, uh, and she works at a textile factory. You'll see a bit more, and you'll see her actual story. Um, but uh, so we were in the village, a village called Tonlibati, um, but more like a sort of small urban community together. And uh, we went to see, see various people. We thought, let's make a film. As we were asked to make a series of six films in six days. So each day we were with, with a person, a, a different person. And, and the idea behind the films is to introduce people to this community so that people who give regularly to Tear Fund can then follow the story of these people. And so Ibtuch is at the start of a, of a process of the church being awakened, so the local church in Tonlibati, um, Cambodia is a predominantly uh, Buddhist um, society, and the church is very small. And they're starting to work with people, particularly the poorest. So they identified the poorest people in their community, in their church community, and they're starting to work with them to start to sort out their own problems of hunger and their own problems of health care and the, the other problems that all come out of that. So Ivtuch is part of this uh, uh, program called Amoja, which is a Swahili word for togetherness, but it's based on biblical principles. So essentially, it's a handbook that allows the community to see stories from the Bible about how people should look after themselves, should care for their neighbors, how they can farm biblically. It's all uh, an amazing process that's spreading like wildfire across Africa, and now it's getting into Asia, and it's getting into Latin America as well. So it's, it's quite extraordinary. So before um, we, went, we went to see if Judge, I'm just going to have a swig of water. Um, and she, we said to her, we'd love to, to film you and your family. Um, and she said, yes, that's fine, but on one condition. We're like, oh, okay. Um, what's the condition? And she said, we would like you to pray for my husband, who's, who's not a Christian. And we're oh, that's fine. That's easy. Easy. We can do that. Fine. So we waited um, till the end of the day. And she said, oh, yeah, you, you, haven't, you haven't prayed for my husband. He said, well, don't worry. We'll go away and we'll be praying for your husband. She's like, no, he's here. He's here now. We're like, okay. And uh, so she got her husband out and presented him in front of us. And we said, what would you like us to pray for your husband? She said, can you pray that he becomes a Christian? And so we were like, okay. <laughs> so we all gathered around the husband and, and prayed for him to become a Christian. And he, he put his arms out like this. And I was thinking, sounds like, <laughs> it's a very interesting and, and uh, amazing thing to be able to pray for people. So they weren't asking us for food or for money or for anything else. They were wanting us to pray for the husband. You'll meet the husband in this, um, in this film. And he is starting to become uh, more part of the church and he's starting to support her. He's, he's feeling like through this program of uh, the church reaching out to people and allowing people to learn new skills and, and get food, that, that he's become welcomed into the church. He's really supportive. So this is her film, and I will shut up. My name is Div Tok. I live in Tolebati, Cambodia. I am married with one daughter who is seven. I work for a textile factory and earn $10 a month. My husband is a motor taxi driver and earns $1 a day. 
Sometimes we don't have enough money for food. Sometimes I borrow money from neighbors to help my daughter go to school and support my family. The interest rate from neighbors can be 120% a year. I worry about my daughter falling sick. We have nothing to fall back on. But now, I have new hope in my life. Three years ago, I had a bad sickness. I asked the church to pray for me. I was desperate for help. One day, the church gathered around me to pray. I got better and was healed of the terrible pains in my stomach. I am not a believer, but I told my wife, your God is good. Now, I encourage her to go to church. My husband likes the church because they do good work in the community. They teach us to help ourselves by using resources we already have. I recently joined the church's chicken raising group. We talked about how to build a chicken coop. My first eight hens have given me 50 chicks. When they are fully grown, I can sell them and I can feed my family for three months. Spare money can go into our church savings group. When we borrow from that, there is no interest rate. At the garment factory, there are few opportunities to get a better job. It is the church that has given me ambition. The church opened my eyes to what is possible, and I am so grateful. It is only the start, but now I am on a journey, and I hope my husband will join me. See for yourself. Won't you see for yourself? Oh, but I'm back. So, I, I, I've, you know, that, that's quite an amazing film. We, we did it in a day, but I still remember that moment because we'd, we, we'd spoken to her and I'd interviewed her before we, um, before we did the film. And that moment where she starts talking about her feeding her daughter and she breaks down in tears, that was quite an extraordinary thing. And, of course, um, we, we, we're very sensitive to people, but we... We can't shy away from the reality of what it means for somebody to be worried about feeding their children. 
Um, so yeah, it's important that we also see those moments. As again, it's what, what Steve was talking about, about um, seeing the world as it is. That's, that's how she feels. Um, but what's great about that film is also is the hope that she has now uh, through her local church. And uh, Tear Fund's been around for 40 years. And uh, we, we're starting to... We, we've, over those 40 years, we've learned a lot you can't start and have it absolutely right. But what's happened through those 40 years is, is various things have come together. And we settled on a model um, which means that we know that it's through experience and through um, doing it on the ground. It's a, it's a very successful way of releasing people from poverty for good. Now, when you see someone in desperate need... So I was in that community and they were making the food for the day. Um, and in my pocket, uh, are they telling me how much their food was, how much their food for a month, how much their earnings for the month, I had in my pocket probably 10 times their um, monthly wage. Okay, So I had it in my pocket. That's nearly a year's worth of food that I could have provided there and then for, for that family. Okay. So I could have gone like that, here you go, food for your family. It would have made me feel good about me. It would have made me feel like I've solved their problem. What happens at the end of those 10 months? What do they do then? Do they wait for me to come back? Do they wait for someone else? Do they look to someone else to provide for their needs? So by doing that kind of of giving, you can damage people. You can close down their thoughts and lock people into poverty. So the way that Tear Fund works is by giving people a sense of their own worth. So that's the first thing. People living in poverty feel that they are worthless. So using the Bible, using passages in the Bible that we'll all know but they will never have been revealed to them about how much they are valued by God, they're children of God, and they have worth and they have value. Then we work with the community to identify the problems that they already have. So instead of coming in and saying, you need this, you need the other, you need that, this is what we do. We go in and we talk to them, we encourage them. You saw the little workshops there, people writing down on charts. And then we say... What resources do you already have that can solve that problem? Um, and so a lot of the, the, the money that's used for tier fund is used to, to send facilitators, to make sure people are out there, to encourage people, to direct people in the right direction. And of course, when people are in disasters or in desperate need, they are starving or they need medical treatment immediately, that's what tier fund will do. But in the long term... We work with communities and we make sure that they are not left in a position where they are needing our support for the long term. The ideal situation would be is that you get a community alive, you, you, you establish the community, they then start to, beyond the church, work with the whole community and other little groups start up. And then Tear Fund and our partners can withdraw and, and use our resources elsewhere. And that's the way that it can be sustainable. So the next film I'm going to show you, and I realize we're... I'm just going to show you this one more film. 
Um, and it's about uh, the pastor in that church called Key Pitch, who's also the facilitator of the, of the work that they're doing. And so a few years ago, a very generous church gave them a well. They came one day and they planted a well in the community because they believed the community needed water. The community did need water, but they didn't need a well. Okay? No one involved the community. No one asked the community what the community wanted. The well is now broken. So this, this pump is broken and the community can't fix it. They don't know how to fix it. No one told them how to fix it. No one owns this well. It's just there. No one feels ownership over it. They got some money together and they fixed the well. But unfortunately, the people who fixed it did even more damage because they didn't know how to fix it either. So I talked to the pastor about this well and I said, so if we fix the well, um, would it be any good? And he said, well, the problem with the well is they didn't dig, dig it deep enough. They only dug it so deep that the only time it can produce water is during the rainy season. You don't need water during the rainy season. Okay. So I said, what, what would happen if, if we dug the well deeper? And they said, well, that would be, that would be good. But the problem is the water that gets, comes up from that deep has a sediment in it. They didn't know what it was. They thought it might be arsenic, but it wasn't. But it's got a sediment in it that kills the crops. So you can't irrigate from that water. You can leave it for a while and the sediment will go to the bottom and you can drink the water from the top. But, you, but if you drink it, you've got to boil it. They don't have enough money to, to, to pay for fuel to boil water. So it's next to useless. So I said, what would, be, what would be your solution? How would you provide water for your community if you had enough money? And they said, well, just beyond the church is a field. If we dug a big pond, when the rainy season come, came, the pond would get filled up. And the rest of the year, we could get buckets and we could irrigate our land using that water. They didn't need a well. They needed the land, some spades and a bucket. Okay, so this is the film. So this is um, the pastor telling you the story himself. Okay, so uh, I hope that gave you a little bit of insight into Tear Fund's work. Now, you're probably thinking, how does that fit in with IF? You know, we're doing work on the ground. We're doing it with local people. What's, what are the, where do the G8 fit in? Rich people, where do we fit in with this? apart from being able to support Tear Fund, um, which you already do. Um, you know, but you, <laughs> we're always asking people to, to support uh, Tear Fund because we know it works. But there's a global context. So what you've seen largely there is the, is, is, is the micro context, what happens on the ground. Um, but there are major issues that are facing communities, poor communities, and that's, again, because poor people are overlooked. They aren't valued. They don't value themselves. They don't understand their own rights. And they certainly don't always have the authority and the ability yet to speak up for themselves. We're training people as advocates in their own community. But we need to be putting pressure on our governments and the governments and the economic systems around the world that continue to lock people in poverty and will continue to lock people in poverty. Tier Fund could do so much more 
if, if there was a fairer system in which we could operate. So things like land grabs, which my wife is working on, so she knows far more about it than I do. But it's not, it's not hard to understand that poor people's land is taken from them unfairly. People are often illiterate or they don't understand the rights about the land, businesses, in collusion often with local authorities or with the government or overlooked by those, have their land taken away, they have the land used for things that are not beneficial for the community, they're encouraged not to farm certain things or to farm for their own families, they're encouraged for land to be used for much bigger things like biofuels, Um, And again, food prices are hitting people extraordinarily hard hard across the world. Uh, I know we're all being hit hard by food prices increasing, so you understand what it's like um, if you've only got one meal a day and that that gets increasingly more and more expensive. When I was talking to Ibtuk about this, she was saying that the wages that they receive are not matching up to be able to provide for that one meal a day. Obviously, TF Fund are working on that. But what we're asking you to do, and this is what this card is here for, um, and this is the TF Fund banner that was um, displayed last week and displayed this week in Northern Ireland, in London. And it's from Proverbs 31.8. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Um, and there's an amazing photo of this placard. I haven't got a copy of it, but of a Muslim lady holding up that placard in a, in a full veil. There's a, there's a big irony there I, I appreciate. But there's a truth there that goes beyond churches and Christians. And there's a truth that's universal to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. But what's amazing, what we at Tear Fund have noticed... And my wife, who works for ActionAid now, which is a, a, another international development organization, noticed is that the people that speak up the most for those who cannot speak for themselves are Christians and churches. Eight years ago, Make Poverty History could not have happened. It has been widely acknowledged that churches were the key to that happening. If could not have happened without churches mobilizing. And I, I looked around... Uh, yesterday, in that pouring rain, in that field, and I thought, why are people here? I think people care about people in poverty, but I think there's an extra edge when you have that understanding of the value of people in God's eyes, and that call to each of us to speak up for people who can't speak for themselves. So I'm going to ask you, if you haven't already, if you have already filled these ones out, you've made a difference already. There was news yesterday that um, Cameron and the, 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 the UK um, government have acted on some of these tax havens. Um, and tax has been a big thing in the news. That's one of the calls of IF. And it's also been widely acknowledged that without IF, without the pressure that has already come to bear through IF, that that would not have happened. That wouldn't have been at the, one, at the top of the news. We've got to watch the government. <laughs> I wouldn't wouldn't suggest that we take our eyes off them. We keep at them because today's headlines can be forgotten tomorrow. So it's up to us. It's our opportunity to keep asking the government, what are you doing? Where's this money coming from? What are you spending it on? 
and we care about that. And so I'm going to ask you, if you haven't already, to uh, fill out this card and then to, well, I'm going to collect it at the front here on a table there. And I'm also going to be at the front, so I've got copies of Tear Times here. Um, you're very welcome to take one if you haven't already, and I really encourage you to read it as well and to, to just read some more of those stories. The next edition that is coming out in September, we're going to have much more about this community, Tonley Batty in Cambodia, because I really want to tell more of these stories. There's six films on the website already, um, and uh, yeah, I encourage you to look for those. Um, so yeah, so that's it, I think. I don't think I've got anything, anything else to say. Can you come forward? And just while the band are coming forward, just a couple of things to close. Um, the moderator of the General Assembly going out last week um, said that we will, um, if we keep our faith to just our place in heaven, we sell ourselves short and other people short. Colossians 1 tells us that Christ did all this so that all things on earth and heaven would be reconciled. The scope of Colossians 1 is across the world. And so we need to be asking, is the moderator right? Do we sell ourselves short? Do we sell others short? I think we sell the blood of Christ short. I think we sell our human vocation short. I think we sell the people of Cambodia short if we are not about what the incoming moderator said, that the transfigured Jesus was about the transformation of the world. So here it is for you. Do you want to be the men and women in Calvin's dream? Not one square inch of God's world that Jesus doesn't claim as his? Do you want to be the followers and disciples of Jesus who said he would bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? For me, the challenge of yesterday was this. Is the impact that the church makes across the world equal to how big we think the ask is to take up our cross daily and follow Jesus? How small do we make that? How challenging is that? Are we really prepared to follow Jesus into this world to bring the kingdom on earth as in heaven. Either, as I said, that night at the moderator's general assembly, we have come this morning and we are just bizarre hobbyists, time wasters, or we are radical, audacious dreamers that can change the world in Cambodia, can change the world in Africa, Central America, and Belfast. How big, how big do you think Jesus' ask is? to follow him.